Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. I'm gonna zhuzh my hair a little bit. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Hello everyone, Chowan here again, and I am so thrilled to have Balthazar Black with me here. And I started following him a few months ago when I found his YouTube channel. Hi there, it's Balthazar, and today I want to share with you a form of candle magic that is based in the key of Solomon. Sprinkling the holy water, right? And it's very important to note that this rite makes use of planetary hours. This is one thing that the key is very specific about, that planetary hours are very important for this work. In the first pentacle of Venus, which is the spirit pentacle that controls the spirits, as you, as you would have known from the previous video. Secondly, you will need um, the fifth pentacle of Venus, And I was absolutely stunned that this person had created basically a really accessible series of video tutorials to help, I think, a lot of new magicians who may feel a little bit intimidated, who don't know where to start, and yet they still want to do really powerful magic. He has created these amazing video tutorials. If you haven't subscribed to his channel, I mean, what are you doing with your life, right? Uh, and not only does he have these video tutorials where he actually shows you how to do the magic step by step. But to supplement with that, he has these really affordable PDFs that you can get that literally like lay out step one, you do this, you get this. So it's so easy to get into magic and you know, accessible magic that also explains to you why you're doing these steps, the theory behind it so that you're not just doing something mindlessly. I mean, it's just a really elegant channel. So again, I am so thrilled to have Balthazar with me. Hi, Balthazar. Hi there, Charlotte. Thank you for having me. You describe yourself as a root worker, a medium, and a Solomonic magician. What does all that mean? Well, yeah, my work really reflects my magical background and my training. And, um, you know, I got into spiritual work and magical work um, through spiritualism, I come from a spiritualist background. My grand was a spiritualist, and it kind it's of evolved. evolved spiritualist, uh, 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 working mediumistically with the dead. Um, a spiritualist movement sprung up around 1848 in New York with the Fox Sisters, and it spread across the world very quickly at that time. Um, Europe, the UK, um, and then uh, later on to Latin America and so on. Spiritualism is really concerned with um, evidence of the other life and life after death and communication with the dead. Um, and my grandmother was a spiritualist. She was into mediumship and that kind of thing. So I grew up with that um, to, to, to some extent in, my, sort of in the atmosphere. And that evolved into working magically, training in ceremonial magic, 
and then later training as a root worker with Cat Ironwood and some other prominent uh, root workers. Uh, along with that, becoming more interested in working with the grimoires in a Solomonic style that's focused more on the original texts, focused more on the original procedures, and not so much on the on the uh, accretions that came after the Victorian period. Yeah, I'm curious about baby Balthazar. You know, so you're growing up in South Africa, and uh, you have a grandmother who's a spiritualist. How did your parents feel about you getting into magic? Well, this is interesting because this was a major problem. This was a major bone of contention with my, especially my father, who was Catholic. Um, and it was a bit of a cat and mouse game with, between my grandmother and my father. And I got into a lot of trouble, both at school and at home. And my mom was um, also involved in the spiritual church. She would, go to church. she would go to meetings and she would get readings and that kind of thing. She would also read the cards. So um, there was some division in the household, let's say. Yeah, it was uh, an obsession. I really... Uh, became very consumed with um, the occult and spiritualism and magical work in general and, and the esoteric more broadly. You know, I, I investigated yoga, I investigated various other kinds of um, uh, metaphysical sport, but this really centered around my grandmother. She had a, a she and my aunt owned a laundromat and a book exchange, and um, as a result, she was able to collect a fairly sizable uh, library of occult books, books from the Theosophical Society, spiritualist books, and things are really hard to get hold of in South Africa at that time. And I kind of had access to this growing up and did my best to read these books to understand them. Uh, this is something that I really grew up with to some extent, but definitely uh, not without having gotten into serious trouble for it. And this was not something that was widely accepted in South Africa, it was considered quite spooky and dangerous. Um, and, you know, there was the satanic panic thing going on globally, and that did trickle down into South Africa. Um, and, you know, it, yeah, it was, it was, it required some, some um, cunning on my part. You do root work, and root work is basically hoodoo. Yes, root work is African-American folk magic. The roots of root work are really Congolese. A synthesis of the magic that the people brought over during the slave trade um, created in combination with other sources of Native American um, herbalism and other um, even European forms of folk magic that kind of got synthesized to create uh, American African-American hoodoo. And the question naturally is, how does a kid from South Africa get interested in American hoodoo? Well, that didn't happen as that, that happened as an adult in my early thirties when I when I was twenty nine or so I got into hoodoo and I did that um, you know voluntarily you know I just I became interested started reading books and uh, and then was able to study with Cat Ironwood and so on so that's not so much uh, as a result of any influence in South Africa but of course um, South Africa is a, uh, a Bantu speaking um, region of Africa we've got the Congo there we've got um, the, 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 the tribes in Southern Africa are very much um, linguistically connected and also their metaphysics and the, the, the indigenous traditions of, of Southern Africa are um, more or less, there is a continuum that connects it with Congolese practice. So, you know, uh, I had that in the atmosphere around me also. One of the things that drew me to it, it was in fact that the synthesis between um, European folk magic and the Psalms and also the grimoires, you know, 
Um, African-American kanji, we see the inclusion of Solomonic seals. We see various Solomonic formulas that are also included into the corpus of that tradition. Uh, hoodoo is very powerful. It's very accessible. It's a, it's a, a form of folk magic that um, really gets results and is famous for that. And, you know, I'm, I'm a pragmatic kind of person and I'm a pragmatic magician. And I've been looking for um, practical, you know, results-oriented magic, something that was going to give me um, uh, practical, uh, uh, measurable outcomes that I could really um, get sink my teeth into. A lot of Solomonic magic, a lot of hermetic magic is very um, ra rarefied and, um, and intellectual, often kind of looks down upon practical magic as, as a, a pursuit, uh, as, as a lower magic, that kind of thing. And that was one of the things that also uh, drew me to uh, African-American kanja. One of the things that I love about your style of magic is that it is taking that really high ceremonial sort of, as, you, as we know, it's Solomonic magic. Now, what is that exactly before we talk about what your style is? Well, Solomonic magic is uh, a, loosely a genre of magic that um, centers around the transmission of the grimoires. And that can be traced back to um, Greco-Egyptian times and uh, has strong uh, Greco-Egyptian roots and was later blended with um, European folk magic and um, various uh, ideas from Neoplatonism and um, also, of course, Jewish folk magic, the Psalms and so on, became kind of synthesized astrology and this kind of thing got blended into this um, current of magic that takes the form of these books um, and that are generally attributed to King Solomon, the, who is thought of as the greatest, the Ur magician, the, the quintessential mage. What made you think about ways to mix those two things together? Well, yeah, I will firstly, um, within the genre, within the Solomonic tradition, there's always been a strong current of folk magic. And most of the grimoires we see in addendums to these grimoires called Books of Secrets. And these books contained um, formulas, charms, and spells, and so on, that are uh, powered by means of the spirits held in these grimoires. And these spells are very folk magical. They take, they, they, they follow a very um, typical uh, folk magical pattern. They use materials. They use sympathetic magic often. And there are a great number of similarities between traditional um, African-American kanja and these books of secrets and this kind of Solomonic folk, folk magic that, that you know, naturally lends to dovetailing these two systems. One of the reasons the grimoire spread as far and wide as they did is because of these books of secrets, um, because they contain formulas for finding lost objects, returning a lover, healing a toothache, uh, you, know, uh, um, you know, finding a thief, um, um, for protection, for healing, the things that, that ordinary people are concerned about. When people think of Solomonic magic, they tend to think of either of um, Kabbalah as a sort of um, the, the Jewish mysticism, which became greatly emphasized in the Victorian era around Solomonic uh, magic, and or you know conjuring up demons and, and you know doing you know pacts with with, with with the devil and that kind of thing. Um, when in fact Solomonic Magic is a much broader technology having to do with contacting and working with, uh, with spirits, really, of various, various hierarchies, often angels, um, but often astrological spirits, um, spirits of the dead, 
And then indeed, you know, uh, what we could, could think of as you know, devilish kind of uh, characters from, you know, from, that we see in horror movies. It's, it's really a spirit technology. It's a technology for working and communicating with spiritual creatures um, for, for knowledge to learn and also for practical reasons to, to influence events, to create um, results. And then also as a technology of spiritual evolution. At its, at its most, um, in its most noble aspect, I would say. I know that a lot of young witches, they're comfortable using candles for magic. Um, they're comfortable using herbs. But calling in spirits, it seems so next level. Why, why bother calling in spirits? Well, firstly, spirit-centric spirit magic, spirit-centered magic that calls on the power of spirits, um, it is what well, historically was the main way it was done. Um, you know, when people thought of magic, they thought, you know, magic was understood primarily as working by the agency of spirits. Um, so uh, there are other threads within it, folk magical threads that you know f focus on the virtues within stones and herbs, and of course incorporating astrological virtues into talismans and that kind of thing. But generally, uh, across all traditions, this, uh, there's the notion that you need spirits to do magic well. And um, uh, in, as a magician, as, a, as someone who does, you know, does spiritual work professionally um, for clients and that kind of thing, I can attest to the fact that using spirits for spell work uh, is a lot more effective. The idea that we are a source of magical power is very modern. It's, it's something that we really see, um, you know, after the, the, the 19th century, the idea that, uh, that we, we ourselves can uh, you know, influence events through our, through our will or through our own spirit. You say that uh, part of your practice is mediumship. So are we talking spirits as in dead people's souls or are we talking like spirits as in like beyond just people? Yeah, I mean, when I say spirit, I'm, this is a broad category, and I really mean spiritual creature, anything ranging from a, a deceased uh, person, and, and the dead, and uh, up to and including angels and gods and goddesses, um, and other orders of spirit, astrological spirits, daimons, um, and uh, elementals, all these, there are various um, categories of spirit. And in terms of my own perception, um, yeah, this is an interesting point. You know, I think it really depends on the medium and the, the, the capacities of the medium. One of the things with grimoire magic is, um, is uh, much of it is geared towards having spirits appear either in crystals or manifest in front of the circle objectively. And then, of course, there is the more mediumistic way of working with spirits where it's really reliant on the medium or the seer to, to stand their, their clairvoyance, where they become aware of the presence of the spirit and then of course, when we're speaking about clairvoyance, um, we have to include a whole range of spiritual senses, um, um, such as clairsentience, the, the ability to sense the presence of spirits, which is a more common thing. You know, when people do spirit work or ceremonial magic, you will often hear people getting frustrated because they're not able to see the spirit, but they will say that, oh, well, I felt something was there, but I couldn't see it. And they kind of get stuck on that. And the interesting thing is, and this is for me one of the great um, gifts that the, the tradition of spiritualism and its various incarnations, whether we're talking about um, British SNU type of spiritualism, which is a, a, a more mainstream kind of spiritualism, 
or whether we're talking about the the spiritualisms that we will find in Cuba, which is a uh, which is a more eclectic as uh, um, uh, syncretic kind of spiritualism that has been blended with some African traditions. One of the, the exciting things about the, uh, spiritualism is that these technologies um, offer us very sophisticated and subtle ways of connecting with spiritual creatures, um, including the dead and up. If you're training as an evidential medium, um, whether it's within the more European style, one of the more um, Afro-Cuban styles, um, you're taught that your mediumship can function through any of the clairs, that you can really communicate with the spirit through any of these senses um, to a huge extent, that, 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 that there's a lot of information that can be had that way. I love how you use the word technology. Um, you say the, it almost makes it sound as though this is a science. I talked to Jason Miller a couple weeks ago and we were discussing how you don't have to necessarily believe in magic for it to work. Sort of like you don't have to believe in gravity for gravity to exist. Yes. Do you also prescribe to that belief? Well, this is one of the great things about working as a professional worker. And um, this is sometimes why I will say to someone who's practicing as a magician, whether it's a root worker or um, you know another kind of magical system, that it might be a good uh, experience to do magic for others for money, right? And, and get them to pay you for spells. Because it's very easy to bullshit yourself with magic and results. It's much harder to bullshit another person <laughs> who's paid you money for spell work. So to answer your question, yes, you can, you can do work with whether, and it will affect someone whether they believe or don't believe. And sometimes work even better with, with non-believers, um, I find, uh, for some reason. Yeah, that's been my experience. You mentioned that you're a working magician, and that sounds like the coolest business card to have. I mean, how does one become a working magician? How did this happen? I would say, firstly, you need to be trained. You know, it's, uh, uh, you need to be trained by someone who knows the business, because there's a business side to it and there's a side, there's an aspect of it having to do with working with people. Um, uh, so that's one, one thing that I would say. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't exclude someone that hasn't had some sort of formal training, but I think it really helps. It's going to make, it's going to make it a bit easier. As for myself, I kind of, yeah, I just, I, 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 I fell into it. You know, I started as a reader and then, um, it kind of evolved from there in a very organic way. And, you know, I kind of, uh, to some extent, against my will, um, I, I, circumstances brought it upon me, I would say. And it, it's a strange job. It's a great job, and I love it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to change it for anything in the world. But it's a strange job. It has a lot of challenges. It's, it's rewarding, but it, it, um, it can be isolating to some extent because, it's it's quite difficult to explain to people what I do for a living, um, yeah. to you know uh, to, to the average person in the street. Right? Um, but uh, I love it. For me, it's really rewarding. I feel like um, uh, it's an act of resistance. Really, we live in a world that is so materialistic, that is so besieged by um, technology, that is so besieged by a very narrow perception of the world that I feel like anyone working magically, any, any medium, any fortune teller, anyone who, with a good heart that's doing this work out in the world, it's an act of resistance. We are 
we are reinfusing the 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 culture with something that is essential and it, it really an antidote to um, many of the ills of the world. I would say. I know that there is this online movement. I don't know if it's still active, but hex Trump or bind Trump, where a bunch of witches online they were trying to throw curses or binding spells towards Trump. Um, as a working magician. What would you say to somebody who wants to do magic to affect the world? I mean, to me, and perhaps I don't know enough about magic, but when I hear witches saying that they want to bind Trump, I don't think that would be very effective. You know, like it doesn't sound, it doesn't seem like it would be that easy. But what would you suggest to somebody who wants to affect not just themselves, but the world? What magic should they do? I would say change yourself first. I would say work on yourself. Use the you know use magic to change yourself and work for people around you. Um, in terms of binding Trump and doing magic on politicians, I mean there are there are several traditional sources that actually address why it is difficult to to harm kings or other statesmen with magic, having to do with predestination, having to do with the will of the nation, and all these kinds of things. And there are all sorts of um, uh, you know esoteric uh, explanations for why a figure like Trump would be quite, there would be some, uh, I think, immunity against that kind of spell work. I mean, power to them, I, I mean, I think it should be done. But I, I, I would be surprised if that works. You know, for me, it's really about working on yourself and using this work to change yourself and to help people and be of service to others in some way. One of the things that um, I've realized about doing magic is that it really dredges up a lot of shadow aspects of oneself. Because when mm. you don't get the results that you want, you have to dig in deep and ask, how come I'm not getting the money? And then you have to be real with yourself and say, well, there's a part of me that's working against it, right? So, I mean, that's definitely part of it. And one of the videos that you did recently was about how to get real revenge on your enemies. Even sometimes go so far as to post images of um, offensive spell work, you know, some sort of like crossing jaw or other kinds of black candles. I mean, what's your personal experience with actual black magic like that? I mean, I think it's part of everyone's magical evolution. I think there is a place for, for martial magical work where we're using um, that kind of work to... Um, to in a destructive way, in a destructive, justified way. Um, but I think it's very, you know, the, the need for that is very rare and to the extent that I would almost say it's hardly ever needed. Uh, I don't have two sets of ethics. I don't have a set of ethics for my lived life uh, and for my magical life. I have one set of ethics. And, for example, if I, um, if someone pisses me off, cuts me off in traffic, I don't, you know, I won't wait for that part somewhere and slash their tires. That's just not, that's not how I am. I won't, wouldn't do that. Uh, and, and if someone, um, you know, you know, offended me in some way, I wouldn't whip out a pistol and, and kill them. I wouldn't shoot them. And often what people are getting into with magic is just that. They, they wouldn't vandalize someone's car. They wouldn't shoot someone. Um, you know, they wouldn't kill someone out, out of vengeance, but they will brag about going to the graveyard, they will brag about destroying their enemies in various other magical ways. But as I said, I think there is a place for that. I think it's an art. I really think it's it, like other martial arts, um, you know, black magic and, you know, th those kinds of destructive works are techniques that we should be able to master and learn and understand because contained within them, technology in there 
of application in other ways and that will teach us um, not only about you know destructive work but perhaps how to heal or uh, perhaps how to remove another kind of condition um, so I, I think like martial arts um, we should definitely study these techniques but like with martial arts if you speak to a martial arts instructor the first thing that a martial arts instructor will say to you that if you were to get into a real conflict that your primary objective is to de-escalate and get out of the conflict. It's to avoid combat. It's not to enter into combat. You, you, you use force as the final last means and there's absolutely no other way. Um, but first you have to find a way out because the fact is you are going to get hurt. If you enter into combat, you are going to get hurt. And it's the same with black magic. If you get into throwing around that stuff, you are going to get hurt. It's going to, there's no way of feeding someone else poison without licking your own fingers. Mm. Um, and I learned that the hard way. This is often the case when we see that kind of work backfiring and, and wreaking havoc on the, the person who does that. And that in itself is a very interesting and instructive experience. Um, it, it's, it's, it's maybe something that you should go through. Yeah, actually, on your YouTube channel, you do have a video. The glass and the pins. Then we are going to turn the witch bottle upside down. And we're going to place it in the center of the seal, like so. And why What's useful about that work is it's not directed at someone. And it's a passive, it's a kind of hot protection, right? And it, if someone were to attack you, then it, then it comes into effect. So... Um, it is a counter-magical device, but it is predicated on an attack. So someone, if it, and especially astral attacks, spirit attacks, but particularly astral attacks where people are sending, projecting their consciousness at you, um, whether it's through a crystal or through a mirror or through doing astral projection, um, which is, in fact, a relatively common style of, of, of spiritual attack, um, then that, that's really good uh, uh protective device that also acts as a counter-magical device that will deter an attacker. A lot of people when they talk about magic, it does seem very separate from mundane life. But the way that you talk about magic, it's just like every other thing that you do during your daily life. And that's also one of the reasons why I really enjoy watching your videos because they showed me how to take the sort of like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm doing it right, you know, like where do I put the candles? How do I draw this sort of stuff? And you actually do like straight up tutorials. It's like if I want to put on like a really nice winged eyeliner, I would go on YouTube and I would look up a winged eyeliner tutorial and you kind of do the magical version of that. What made you think about starting a YouTube channel? Yeah, well, one of the things is, you know, when I come and working with the grimoires, when I'm doing any magical work, I tend to come at, come at thinking as a folk magician and interpreting what I find in the grimoires as a folk magician and, and, and then... Um, creating systems that um, will apply the, the technology in the grimoires in a folk magical style. And one of the reasons that I started the channel is I've been working on a book and I'm still working on a book, um, you know, trying to describe the system of magic that I've devised and um, finding it really difficult to write about it. It really, it really needs to be shown. It's something that requires a video tutorial. Um, and then I kind of just had this idea, well, maybe it should be a video. So I should let me make the YouTube channel that I want to see. It came out of my my work with clients. You know, having to do client work. I, you know, doing 
root work and spiritual work and spell work um, on a paid basis for clients as a job, um, you need to be efficient and you need to have systems. You need to devise methods that are replicable, that are um, practical in terms of materials, in terms of time, what is involved, that need to um, be effective, of course, that, that work. And uh, that was my primary motivation about around that. And of course, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, I'm a regular guy. I don't wear a black cape. Um, you know, I do regular stuff. And I think it's, I think it's important for people to see that um, there are people that are doing this work, that are involved in magical work, that are, that are relatively normal. Not completely normal, but, <laughs> but relatively normal. One of the things that I learned from your channel was how important it is to do divination first and foremost. I think a lot of new magicians, they wouldn't even bother to do that first, or they don't know about that. So when you get a new client, what are the steps you do? And let's say this client wants um, to get more money in their life, more prosperity. Like, How would you lead them through the magic? Yeah, well, that you hit the nail on the head because divination is very important to me and uh, my process. And the, the, the first reason is because uh, it's ethical. I want to know that if I take someone as a client, that there is some chance of success. And I want to know that we're working on the right thing. Um, often clients will come and what they think that they need to have fixed is not really what they need to have fixed. Someone will come thinking that they can't find a girlfriend. Um, and that there is something wrong with their, how they look. And the problem might be that they're unemployed. And if they were to get a job, they would have a girlfriend. And the divination will, you know, bring that to the front. It will usually reveal what the real issue is. And then, of course, divination is really important for establishing confidence in the client. And this is an age-old thing in all traditions, um, whether there are magical services provided or not, that the, 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 the worker or the priest needs to demonstrate their ability. You need to be able to prove your contact with the numinous to the client. And I pride myself in being able to provide information to the client that I couldn't have known about their situation and to, to show them that I am legit, that, I, that I'm not just, you know, it's not just um, a scam, that this work is, is based on something genuine and that I, it's an opportunity for me to demonstrate some sort of contact with the spiritual world to them. Divination is very healing. Why? Um, aside from the, the, the magical aspects, the diagnostic aspects, aside from the practical aspects of getting information about the future or being able to, you know, using it to help navigate the situation more effectively, the, the ability to get a reading from someone that doesn't know you from a, uh, from, from a bar of soap that accurately reflects your experience in your world is very healing. Um, and especially in our world where we are, we are living in such a materialistic world where our, where that is so soul deadening, where we are so cut off from the spirit, so cut off from our soul, so cut off from the numinous, that having an encounter like that where we have this experience where there is this this person who can reflect my experience can tell me things about myself and my situation that they couldn't have known. And even if it's bad, you know, sometimes even if I have a client that comes to me and what's shown in the reading is upsetting and negative, that can be healing because it's just like, whew, I'm not crazy. 
this is real and it puts it into context for a person that, that somehow provides meaning that shows them that this that the universe has a hidden structure that is meaningful that is supportive that as that is interested in their well-being and that is that is that's huge that is huge this, this can have a profound impact on, a, on another human being I would consider that sometimes 50% of the work, 50% of the magical act would be the divination. And because what I think what we're doing is healing, really. Whether, we're, whether it has to do with our physical health or our life, um, but we're ultimately we're busy healing. We're busy fixing a rift. And we're, 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 we're making the, the client whole in some way. Well, I just talked to Camelia Elias the other day. And she teaches tarot, and we were talking about the importance of divination and also the importance of being very clear in your mind when you do divination because you can see whatever you want to see depending on your shadows and what have you, hence the need for your self-work. So would you say for a new magician, uh, and they have a limited amount of time to learn new stuff, would you advise that they really focus on learning divination first? Well, you know, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that that would be, have to be a requirement because this just really depends on someone's facility for it. And not everyone will have a gift with everything, you know. Not everyone, you know, you might get someone who's a brilliant diviner or reader or cartomancer, medium, but is a terrible magician. Hmm. You might have someone who's a, an excellent magician and a terrible medium or reader. And in fact, you know, if you, if you, look, at the, if you look at ceremonial magic or Solomonic magic, if you look at John Dee, for example, and other magicians of the, of, in the same, of the same stature, they often would work with a seer. They would work with someone who had, was clairvoyant to, to supplement their, their knowledge. Um, and I think, you know, it, it, I, I think we sometimes assume that a magician will also be a medium or will also be a, a, a psychic, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, so I think it really depends on your interest. I, th I think you would need to have some experience with divination, certainly. And there, of course, there are different there are different possibilities. You know, if you're a very cerebral type, you know, horary astrology or astrology in general might be better suited to you than, say, cartomancy or or something like that that it, that functions more through in a in an intuitive way. Um, but I would I would be reluctant to make it a prerequisite. What's your favorite form of divination? Oh, tough one. Um, very difficult. I would say um, cartomancy followed by geomancy. Uh, reading the cards, uh, Lenormand and the tarot, and then geomancy would be my my close second. Let's say somebody looks at your videos, gets the PDFs, and they're following the rituals. What are the ways they could really help make the ritual successful? And what are the ways that they can really fuck it up? Oh, yes. Good. Oh, there's so many things. <laughs> <laughs> so many ways to fuck it up. How to... Well, first well, let's start with say, how can they really increase their chances for success. Let's say that they do a mojo bag, a money mojo bag. Like that recent video yes. that did. Yes, the table of Jupiter, the magic square, has four by four cells. And then uh, once that has been tied, you can place it in the center of the, of the triangle. How can they really make it work as well as possible? The number one thing that I would say is really focus on the elegance and the simplicity of the spell. Rather have it be simple. 
and and focus on doing it, it, it that that that's the the one simple formula well right then then overdoing it with adding too much stuff and thinking that more will be better it's really not the case um, and this is I mean this this includes also how much work you do uh, I think sometimes people have a, a tendency to throw too much spell work at a problem um, and. Sometimes it's about targeting the spell work that you do well uh, rather than, than bombarding it. My second bit of advice would be don't squeeze yourself. Don't squeeze yourself. When you come at doing the work, um, come at it with a sense of detachment and trust in the spirits. Uh, and if you're not working with spirits per se, but you're working with uh, you know, just with herbal magic or with um, you know, uh, you know, maybe just prayer. Uh, in, in addition to that, have a sense of resigning it over to whatever the process is that you're doing. Or not, not squeezing it too hard because that has a way of somehow blocking things. I find a light touch is often better than um, coming at it with everything that you've got. And especially, I will say, with love work, this is for me the key with love work. If you're doing any um, seduction magic or reconciliation magic uh, to draw someone to you, or to, if, if there's been some problem and they and you and you you need to reconcile with an individual, the instinct often is to just have at it with everything, throw everything at the kitchen sink at that person, and dominating and sweetening and tying and 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 and, and every imaginable thing, thinking that you know it'll be more powerful, but Unless you are an extremely powerful magician and you can just dominate another human being magically to the point where they are a thrall, which most people are not, and I include myself in that assessment, um, doing that much work will have two outcomes. Firstly, it will register as psychological pressure on the target. The, the, the person who you're working on will start feeling pressure. They will, they will, there will be a sense of being squeezed somehow. There'll be a sense of having someone tightening the knots on them. And this can have very unpredictable consequences and often very explosive consequences because you're communicating psychically with that person on some level. There is an unspoken energetic connection that you're influencing. And if you're, if you're, at, a, if you're in, at a cocktail party and you're talking to someone and you're charming them, and it's coming. It's it's natural. You're not you're not like you're not needy and kind of kind of doing everything to get this person's attention. You're confident. You're a little bit natural. You maybe you're 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 at a kind of you have an attitude of you can take it or leave it. Right? That works much better, doesn't it? It it, it makes you a lot more a lot more attractive and appealing. If then if someone was to come up to you and really like lay it on thick. It can be quite like, ugh, you know, uh, what, you know, I'd rather not, thank you. Um, and I think the same applies to magical influence. I, I think we can use the same, uh, have the same outlook about it, uh, that, that, that cool detachment, uh, in addition to the work, tends to be a lot more effective, really. I think it's the same with um, reconciliation magic and the same with seduction magic. Coming in at that, strongly can really push someone away. It can register as pressure, it can register as being squeezed and then the, uh, it, will, it will explode in conflict sometimes or it will just have the, 
the person um, run. They will just they will go in the opposite direction. What I suggest is to slowly tighten the knot, to tighten the screws very slowly. You you layer the work very gently, slowly build the work up, and do it very gently. Work in a in a in a in a in a seductive way, in a in a fun way. Keep it keep it light and fun at first, and then you can add additional layers that may be a little bit more persuasive, um, and ramp it up slowly. Yeah, then you tend to have really great results. Give it time, you know. Uh, if you're into that person, you want to look at three to six months, really. You get you get miracles that happen quickly, but, you know, if you're really into that person and, and you, to the extent where you're now willing to do spell work, then you can, then, you know, if this is that important to you, you should be able to invest at least six months in the project. And if not, then, you know, really, is it, is it, is it, is, are they worth it? How does one keep cool detachment? What if rent is due in two weeks? What if you are desperately in love with somebody and you want them back? How do we stay detached? Well, this is the question. I don't have an easy answer for that, uh, to be honest. Um, I think this depends on the individual. And I think it's on developing a, a spiritual practice. This is where having spiritual practice to support whatever magical work you're doing is going to come in. Because if you're having a spiritual practice, that is going to orient your orient you to the world in a healthy way. It's going to orient how you see the world. It's going to it's, it's it will orient you also to the divine, and in, in a way that's going to give you um, um, a sense of grace and and poise and detachment. Whether that is through meditation, which I highly recommend, or through prayer, or through yoga, or um, through spiritualist, you know, sitting in the power with spiritualist people sitting in the power. Of, or uh, working, you know, in, in seances and doing other kinds of spiritual development, but that that kind of work will then have a way of supporting those situations. That you can then enter into a situation where the, where the, the pressure is high, but you've got this reservoir, you could say, of 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 spiritual support there already. And this is why I'm so intent on encouraging people to, to develop um, spirit relationships, right? And, you know, to some extent, it's also about the, the relationships that you have in the spirit world and how developed your relationships are with those beings because they then tend to work on an ongoing basis for you. And especially, I will, I will add um, an, uh, an addendum to that saying, they will do that, especially if your intention is to be of benefit to others. Then these beings will become even more supportive of you and your work. They will begin um, really backing up and opening the, the way and taking things out of your way and to such an extent where you can have that trust, where the rent can be due next month and you can then feel confident that you can do something and then step back and leave it in their hands, knowing that, well, if I get evicted, maybe it's for the best. Um, but whatever the case may be, there will be a good outcome. I like to reframe it for clients like this as well. Often if, if I'm coaching them on doing spell work for themselves, I will say to them to add the this or even better clause, right? Because we, we, we get fixated that this thing will solve my problem. But if you're working with spirits and you say to your spirit, well, this is what I want. Can you give me this or maybe something even better? 
because of the economy of the way spirits work and the way probabilities work, you'll find that sometimes they will give you something way better, something that you've never even considered um, will come along. I had this recently with a client who was in a, in a difficult divorce settlement and she needed money, and she was convinced that she would have to get money to have something done from her ex, and she wanted work done. And she, she, I was coaching on how to do work, and I gave her this call. I said, this was something even better. When, you, when you're speaking to the Spirit, this was something even better. And, of course, an absolute stranger just gave her a lump sum of money. It was easier for a stranger to, you know, she, she met a woman who took, you know, was, was sympathetic to her situation and gave her, you know, the money that she needed. That sounds like a miracle. Like, when people do magic, is that what they're what we're trying to do? I mean, it's taking an event that would have happened anyways and just putting it on steroids? Is that what magic is? I'll be honest. I, I, I'm not sure. I, these days I'm not sure uh, exactly how it works. Or I wouldn't, I would, let me describe, I wouldn't be so, as arrogant as to try and define magic um, in terms of the mechanis, mechanisms of it because we're dealing also with fate and predestination and personal destiny. We're dealing with what is possible, and uh, just realistically speaking. So there's no amount of spell work in the world that is going to turn me into the president of the United States of America. <laughs> Magic just won't do that. It's not within the. It's not within what is within the valid basis of what can manifest in my life, right? So there's that's constraining it. Um, but then there is this. You know, miracles do happen. And primarily, I find that that is when we are working with spirits, to be honest. This is where my emphasis on spirit work is coming in. Um, I find that because we have the, their intelligence, because there is an intelligence there that is other than our own, that has access to information that we don't have access to, and has access to apparatus and an, an experience of reality or this world, the universe, that we are that we that is we don't have access to, so they're sometimes able to uh, influence ways that are more ideal than we could do by ourselves. So for somebody who is just starting out in spirit work, let's say that she watches this video and she's like, "Holy shit, I want to start working with spirits." What can she do tomorrow? Is there a certain spell that you recommend? A certain book that she can read? What can she start doing immediately? Well, this is where um, I want to talk about spiritualism, right? Because firstly, the spirits that we all have access to immediately uh, from the moment we were born is our ancestral spirits. They are around us uh, and as a dyed-in-the-wool spiritualist, um, you know, uh, and having, having seen so much evidence of this, I'm confident in saying this, that any individual has access to working with their own ancestral spirits and with their spiritual guides. Even though individuals, doctors, people who are not interested in, in any of this, will be, will, according to spiritualist um, uh, metaphysics, will be assigned these guides that are working with them in an unconscious way, that are guiding their hands, that are, that are influencing them to be more helpful, right? And as a function of, uh, uh, of those beings' own evolution, that these beings are doing it for their own evolution, right? So that's the first port of call, I would say. That's the safe route. That can be as simple as um, uh, setting the intention, lighting a candle, and setting the intention for doing that kind of work, and inviting contact, and then seeing what synchronicity has been arising. Um, 
going to a medium for a reading and having, you know, being given some, given some instruction maybe on how to begin working with your own particular guides, um, that would be a useful step. But that, even that isn't necessary because you have ancestors and they are interested in you, they are around you, they are influencing events for you for your best anyway, and you can reach out to them. Uh, with a glass of water and a candle. Can you literally just put out a glass of water, light a candle, and just start talking normally? Like, hello, ancestors, is there any way that you can contact me? Yes, and I would say the key there is to work gradually, right? So you, you, you can put out a glass of water, uh, a white candle, and you preferably, you don't want to do this in the bedroom. This is, you know, this is something that you want to keep in, a, in your living room area. Nowhere where you're going to be naked and that kind of thing. And you can set up that space with the intention, right? And you can, you can say a prayer for them, right? And you can sit there and meditate quietly and invite them to blend with you, invite them to be around, around you. And it's slow. It has to be slow. Don't, don't put a whole bunch of paraphernalia there. No, no dolls, no crazy stuff yet. You, when you're working with the dead, you keep it very simple at first, and you have a regular practice where you're doing it once a week, or maybe once a day, you're lighting a candle, you're sitting there and allowing them to be around you, to blend with you, and to impress, impress upon you some sense of their presence. And that might be just a feeling, it might be, uh, it might be a smell, you might have the sense of there be some sort of smell, you might get the smell of your grandfather's cologne, sometimes that happens, your grandmother's perfume, you might hear something, you might hear a knocking, for example, that's a, 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 another classic spiritualist uh, phenomenon, um, or you might, um, you might have some sort of clairvoyant perception of an impression of someone, but it's a slow process, and then by gradually attuning in that way, in a regular way, the, the power will begin building, and you will find that there are synchronicities that begin happening, things begin falling into place, you'll meet the right person who will give you more information, um, you might bump into a medium who will say, will say, oh, by the way, you recently smelled your grandfather's cologne, didn't you? And then you will go, oh my God, this is real. You know, this kind of thing happens. But, uh, the key idea here is um, a steady but consistent um, period of prayer and meditation with the water and the candle, I would say, and letting it unfold naturally. I am saving up my pennies to do the three keys because that sounds amazing. I don't think I've heard of something like this before. It's like you're basically helping somebody kind of get a better sense of their life path. Is that what it is? Yeah, the three keys is my way of sharing um, the, the, the influences that have formed me, right? And um, in, in, so we're, we're looking at working with geomancy and divination to get a sense of what the, what the life path of the individual is, what their capacities are, st strong areas, whether, and, and I mean this in a very practical way, love life, career, finances, um, uh, your spiritual interests and your, your religious interests, um, family, all these kinds of things. And that helps us work through the rest of the three keys. Um, 
in such a way that we are able to remedy the weak areas and supplement the strong areas in their life chart. And then the second step is a mediumistic reading, and I do that within um, the uh, Espiritismo tradition. Um, uh, I've, you know, I've been initiated into uh, Lukumi or Ocha, sometimes called, and uh, an aspect of that is um, uh, Afro-Cuban spiritualism called Espiritismo. And I've also been trained in traditional British evidential mediumship. So that session is a, a, a discovery session in which we more or less pinpoint important spiritual guides and ancestral forces that are um, that are coming forward at that time for the client in their in their journey in their life path as a supportive influence. And of course, when we're speaking about ancestral guides or ancestral spirits, we're talking about your loved ones in your family in your bloodline. But when we're talking about spirit guides, um, within the spiritualist tradition, um, both in the New World and in, in Europe, um, there is this notion that there are spiritual guides, advanced souls, that are not necessarily related to the, the person by blood, but have taken on the role of being um, sentinels, protectors, um, tutors, and uh, guides in, in various domains of their life. And then the third key, we're working with the guardian genius, which is the Solomonic aspect that I bring in. And this is, um, there is some disagreement about the, the, the exact, shall we say, species of angel that this is. But, I mean, it could be understood as your guardian angel. And using the, your geomatic chart, we're able to divine the name of your individual guardian angel and the sigil of your individual guardian angel. Well, wait a and second, that was our, are you talking about the HGA? Is that what we're... Well, there is some dispute. There is some dispute. People who are working with the Holy Guardian Angel from their Bremlin, uh, you know, within their Bremlin procedure and so on, will, will distance themselves from the Guardian Genius and say, no, it's not. But then if you look in the sources, there is some confusion about whether the Guardian Genius is the Holy Guardian Angel or is another kind of Guardian Angel and so on. What I can say is that John Hayden, um, uh, very famous Renaissance geomancer and who had a huge influence on the Golden Dawn. Many of these techniques that I use are drawn from John Hayden's writings. And he equates the Guardian genius specifically with the diamond of this, the genius of Socrates. And John Hayden equates the Guardian genius very, very squarely with that being. So as far as I'm concerned, it is, a, it is your guardian angel that functions like a guardian angel. I was a really hardcore atheist. I, mean, I always thought like spirits were just out there, woo-woo. But the way you're describing it, it actually sounds like just something that is effective to use if you want to change this reality because they are also a part of our reality and it's separating just the spirits from your regular life the way that I used to it may have actually caused some sort of psychological rift inside of me. Yeah, and I think you're pointing out something really important there, that there is a psychological rift in our, in our culture that, that happened during the Enlightenment where we were severed from the numinous. And we're still reeling from that. And um, I, my humble opinion is the loss of magic in the world is and, and connection to the numinous. And when I say magic, I mean just broadly um, the, the experiences that we're discussing, this, this kind of life, having the magical life or the, 
living in this way um, has, is creating the loss of that has, is creating a massive despair and it's a despair that is unnamed because people aren't aware of the loss they don't know that this is what they're missing and the movements like spiritualism like the magical revival uh, like witchcraft and wicca and all the things that we see are in fact a uh, a, a, a reaction to that uh, that very thing, especially spiritualism, which sprung up in the in the nineteenth century, were, were in such a miraculous way. Just uh, overnight, there was this phenomenon that spread across um, the Americas and Europe and everywhere. And simultaneously, all the spiritualist phenomena just started happening, where the other side was kind of saying, "You know, oh, we're real, and we're going to prove it to you. We're going to we're going to provide evidence of our reality." and um, all this phenomena started happening. A lot of magical instruction is fo focused on techniques, and that's all good and well. But for me, magic is spirit-centric. I've worked with Balthazar before. The results showed that his magic definitely works. His coaching for me, it helped me increase my skills as a magician. So guys, put down in the comments if you decided that you're going to start working with spirits what Balthazar recommended, having the glass of water, the white candle, and just over a period of time talking to your ancestors, tell us if that worked for you and how you felt doing it. And thank you so much, Balthazar, for joining me this time. Well, thank you, Charlotte. It was amazing. I love being on. <laughs> Thanks. Bye, everyone. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Witches & Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan, signing off.